Let me play you something. The music you're hearing is one of my favorite scores of all time. It comes from Bear McCreary's soundtrack to the Battlestar Galactica reboot. And yes, I'm opening the show with Battlestar Galactica because in addition to being your ever-appreciative host, I'm also a giant nerd. The piece is titled An Easterly View, and the reason I love it so much is because it started me on a fantastic musical path. Around the 1 minute and 20 second marker, you'll hear this. There. Did you catch it? There were three notes, but one felt a little different. I'll play it one more time. I've listened to this piece of music probably hundreds of times, and on every single listen, this note stands out to me, like it's somehow out of step with the others. And after some digging, I found out that there's a reason for that. The note is out of step with the others, but it's also not at all. Let me explain. You're listening to On That Note, a podcast from the UBC School of Music. On this show, we deconstruct the music that you love, and let's face it, some that you probably don't, and look for what can't be heard coming through your headphones. My name is Graham, and on this episode, I tackle a personal melodic mystery. Along the way, I enlist the help of Michael Tenzer, an ethnomusicologist here at UBC, and we discuss the difficulties and limits that come with attempting to frame musical systems. To begin, back to Battlestar. There's a reason that this music feels a little unstable. The composer is using something that is commonly referred to as microtones. Simply put, microtones are notes that fall outside of the Western musical scale. Very broadly speaking, if you grew up in the Western world, chances are that most of the music that you've been exposed to has been composed within what is known as the 12-tone system. The most simple way to tackle the 12-tone system is to start with the idea of an octave. That is two notes that are either half or double the frequency of each other. We hear them as either higher or lower. In the Western system of music, octaves are divided into 12 equal parts, called semitones. Played in a continuous line, they make up what's known as the chromatic scale. But what happens if we remove the distinctions between semitones? and play the chromatic scale, say, with a slide. Could you hear the 12 semitones? Probably, but you probably heard a lot more than just 12 notes. We can divide an octave into a potentially infinite number of ways. And this is what the McCreary piece at the top of the show is playing with. Our expectations that a note will fall within a pattern we recognize, and then subverting that expectation. That note is a little bit higher than a G-sharp, but a little bit lower than an A. This can feel wrong, unstable, tense, or unresolved. All very useful things to convey in a piece of music. For me, the discovery of microtonal music was nothing short of mind-boggling. 
all of a sudden, music wasn't just limited to the 12 notes of a scale. There were millions of hidden notes just waiting to be used. And what's more incredible is that naturally, intuitively, we can all identify when microtones are being used. Even if this is the first time you're hearing a breakdown of musical structures, these tonal patterns have been drilled into your brain. You know them intuitively. You can recognize when music is out of tune, even if you've never taken a class in music theory in your life. But there's something really important to mention here. I have grown up in Canada, playing piano, guitar, and other fretted instruments. My musical ear, just as yours, is situated. While we often take the 12-tone system of music for granted, most musics in the world do not adhere to a 12-tone system. Some use 5 tones, some use 7, some use 24. Now don't get me wrong, I love Beethoven, but it's well worth breaking out of the Western classical frame and take a look at the idea of music as a whole, capital M music. And luckily, I was able to sit down with someone who knows a lot about capital M music. Good morning, how are you? This is Michael Tenzer, a professor of ethnomusicology here at UBC. And he devotes a lot of his time to studying music from a very wide perspective. Um, there, I think in the world of music now, you know, wherever, wherever you find yourself, whatever your tastes are, uh, whatever uh, you have been exposed to, you know, whatever your culture is, however, or your identity is, however you define that, I think it's interesting and possible to zoom out and to see the world as one that doesn't have a center and a periphery, that there's nothing that is more uh, crucial or important than anything else. I wouldn't want to say that one kind of music is normal and other kinds of music are different. They're just all different from one another. Mm -hmm. I want to invite you to listen to some music with me, with this lack of center and periphery in mind. Now, obviously, the wealth of music out there is way more than I could ever justly summarize in a 15-minute show. But I've pulled some of my favorite examples. We'll start with music that approaches tonal structures in unique ways. Take gamelan music. This is a traditional form of music from Bali and Java which uses a seven-tone division of octaves. The instrumentation can be described as metallic and percussive, making use of gongs, bells, xylophones, and hand drums. The music also features rapid changes in rhythm, tempo, and dynamics. What you're hearing is a stunning piece called Garigal. composed by Dewa Katut Alit.
Another example of playing with tonal structures can be found in Ben Johnston's string quartets. In this clip, you'll hear Johnston's unique division of octaves not into 12 tones, but literally into hundreds. Well, there have been people, especially in the 20th century, who, uh, before computer technology became such a big thing, there were composers like him and another one, Harry Parch, who uh, felt that the Western tuning system was, you know, bad, and that we should look for different kinds of ratios and, and intervals, and, and so they designed all these scales based on mathematical principles. Um, but nowadays, uh, because of computers and many other reasons besides, you know, any note can be achievable, and it is, you know, almost any pop music uses electronic effects that produce notes in between, you know, in between what would be a scale. So uh, our ears are quite used to all different kinds of notes. Mm -hmm. A great example of this can be heard in St. Vincent's song, Surgeon. Pay close attention to how the lead synth moves through the spectrum of sound, not with incremental steps, but in a continuously fluid way. When we zoom out from our musical bubbles, tonality isn't the only thing that varies. Interpretations of rhythm are just as diverse. And I could also, uh, one, of, one of the um, extreme examples of musical rhythm is uh, the, the well-known composer John Cage, who was somebody who destroyed all conventions of what music could be. And of course, he's most fam famously known for his silent piece that has no sound in it at all. And uh, now in Germany, they are doing a performance of a piece of his called As Slow as Possible in a cathedral there. Uh, he didn't specify in his composition how slow it was supposed to be, so they have determined that they want the length of the piece to be 650 years. Oh my God. And every eight or nine years, there's a new note. Just to give you a sense of what this actually sounds like, here's a clip of the piece played at a tempo that brings the 650-year running time down to about four minutes.
And in case you're interested in seeing the next note change in person, the next note starts on September 5th, 2020. Mark your calendars. Here's another example of extreme forms of rhythm. The music played in the No Theater of Japan. In this tradition, the musical ensemble is comprised of three drummers and a flute player, and they have some fascinating ways of timing their rhythms. It, it, it explicitly does not have to do with keeping a steady beat. It has to do with who your teacher was. It has to do with the poetry that they're singing. And it makes this crazy rhythm that if you were to just to listen to it, you would not really be able to feel it in your... If, you know, if you came to it as a newcomer, it'd be really hard to feel it in your body or to understand it or to count it out. In their essay about no music, Monica Beth and Karen Rosell state, seemingly unrelated rhythmic and melodic patterns coalesce into an organic whole. Stray notes from the flute, sporadic beats on the drum merge so perfectly with the mood that no one is hardly aware of them, but for the impression they have left. Timing appears irregular, yet exact. And while this may leave some of us as listeners unable to feel the beat, Michael reminds us that but the players are, because mm -hmm. their culture trained them to do it in a certain way. So that's what's interesting is how do they hear it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, We've uh, looked at some pretty extreme examples of playing with tonal and rhythm structures, all very different from one another. And for me, these differences ultimately point to a kind of unity. If we look at music, as Michael suggests, without center, without periphery, we're left with something simultaneously simple and infinitely complex. Music as people experimenting with sound. I asked Michael how he characterizes music from this perspective. I like to, or I have been trying to learn, in the, especially in the past 10 or 15 years, as different kinds of research has been coming out and different people are asking questions. They're asking questions about how the brain processes music. They're asking questions about whether music uh, was an evolutionary adaptation for humankind. They're just not seeing music uh, as necessarily an expression of anything in particular, but as a system of communication that people use. That we, we have language and we have music. These are two big systems we have. And we're interested in how the brain, uh, the differences in the way the brain processes those two things. Many, many uh, aspects related to that. And so um, I see music as a system of communication that people have. and. Uh, that has gone through many stages of change in the course of human history, uh, all of them fascinating, um, and all of them interesting in their own right. Uh, what, I, what I really have found by looking at so many different kinds of music from so many different cultures is that there's just no end to their variety. There really is none. And, and what better, uh, you know, we all want to understand what's inside other people's heads, but so what better medium than music because Everybody has music, has their music that they love, and so you're seeing the best side of them in a way if you can penetrate a little bit of what they're thinking musically. Mm -hmm. yeah.
get rid of language and just um, appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And on that note, we'll say goodbye. As always, I'd like to thank everyone who makes the show possible. Thank you so much to Michael Tenzer for taking the time to speak with me. He also provided me a link to the Global Jukebox, which is an interactive map of the world where you can explore all kinds of music outside of your musical bubble, whatever that might be. You can find it on our website. Our show was produced and edited by me, Graham McDonald, and our executive producer is Tyler Steen. Our theme music is by Yvonne Salazar and Jacana Bitt. You also heard music from Bear McCreary, Dewa Katu Dalit, Ben Johnston, St. Vincent, John Cage, and the Kyoto Nogaku Kai. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Mm-hmm.